The Gist is brought to you by Amazon. Detective Harry Bosch is back on the new season of Amazon's original series, Bosch, based on the best-selling novels by Michael Connelly. Stream the new season now on Amazon Prime Video. And by Betterment, the largest automated investing service managing billions of dollars for people just like you. Get up to six months of investing free when you go to betterment.com slash gist. Betterment, investing made better. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, March 21st, 2016. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pasca. Donald Trump speaks in front of AIPAC tonight. Wait, I know how these things work. I'm speaking before he speaks. You'll hear this after he speaks. So I'm not going to know what he's going to do, but you will. But I have a prediction. And ABC helped get my mind straight with this prediction as they helpfully put together a montage of this thing he does when he speaks about people with religions different from himself. Here we go. I can't believe. Are you sure he's a Mormon? Are we sure? I'm Presbyterian. I mean, Seventh-day Adventist, I don't know about. I just don't know about. I've never seen anybody that lied as much as Ted Cruz. And he goes around saying he's a Christian. I don't know. You're going to have to really study that. So I'm wondering, who's going to be the Jew he calls out for questioning? So many prominent Jewish opponents of Donald Trump to choose from. John Stewart, Lena Dunham, Sarah Silverman, billionaire CEO Barry Diller, Barbara Streisand, Senators Michael Bennett, Richard Blumenthal, Barbara Boxer, Benjamin Cardin, Dianne Feinstein, Al Franken, Brian Schatz, Bernie Sanders, Charles Schumer, and Ron Wyden. Some of the attack lines are clear, right? He could pick on Bernie and said, Bernie, you skipped AIPAC. I don't know. You sure this guy's a Jew? I don't know. I'm just asking. I don't know. But I think there's there's a person out there that he's going to put that Trumpian line of attack together with. Right? Bernie Sanders is a little too obvious. She was the lead negotiator in the Iran deal, and her name is Wendy Sherman. She's Jewish, and you know Trump loves this part. She's a woman. So I could just see Trump saying, have you ever seen a Jewish woman so bad? at negotiating? She couldn't get them down past 6,000 centrifuges? Are you sure she's Jewish? Just have it hang out there. Today on the show, I spiel about three times words changed world events. Words, Roxanne, words. But first, you've been waiting for it. You've asked for it. Coming to a mall near you, it's Bear News. Amazon's original series, Bosch, returns for an all-new season. Based on Michael Connelly's best-selling novels, Harry Bosch, the tenacious LAPD homicide detective, is back on the job after an involuntary leave of absence. You know who plays Bosch? It's this actor who's been in so many TV shows that I like, and I never learned his name until he was in Deadwood. He played Silas, and his name is Titus Welliver. And since then, I've been noting his career. He's excellent. He's excellent in everything he does. He brings a frisson of danger, if you will, to all his roles, and the same is true in Bosch. His first case back may prove to be his biggest challenge yet. He follows a dangerous trail of corruption and collusion, one that uncovers the dark side of the police department and threatens Bosch's relentless pursuit of truth. Here's how you watch. You stream the new season of Bosch right now on Amazon Prime Video, and there is also a companion podcast. It is called A Fine Mist of Blood. Listen to that on SoundCloud or Stitcher. (laughs) 
And joining us now, our returning Bear News expert, Dr. New, a new doctor, Ray Wynn Grant, who is a conservation science and teaching fellow at the American Museum of Natural History. That's the one here on the Upper West Side with Teddy Roosevelt out front. I just call it the Museum of Natural History, but it is the American Museum of Natural History. That's right. So I think the big bear news that everyone's thinking about and talking about Leonardo DiCaprio attacked by a bear. Have you seen The Revenant? I saw it, yes. I saw The Revenant, and coming out of that, I had just two questions, really three. One, did any actor's genitals freeze in the cold? And yes, they did, according to an article in The Hollywood Reporter. My second question was, what does Revenant mean? It's like a guy who's left behind. But my third question was, how about that bear attack? It looked cool. Did it seem to you as a bear expert, I know they always say we hired an expert, but they wanted to look cool. Did it seem like like a real bear attack might seem? So, yes, I am a bear expert. However, I have never personally been attacked by a bear, right. I am thankful to say. But have you seen bears attack other bears or beasts or anything? I've seen aggressive bears in person in the wild, and it is a scary sight for yeah. sure. So this movie was actually very stressful for me because it seemed really realistic. Yeah. I saw that... In order to get ready for the movie, they looked at tons of videos of bear attacks and different animal attacks. There were all of these stunt doubles involved, mm-hmm. you know, so they just practiced and rehearsed over and over and over again. And then finally, of course, the CGI guys took over and made it look so, so real. But all of that, like, bone-crushing noises that yeah. you heard, I mean, that was super accurate. <laughs> Grizzly bears and brown bears, they have those jaws that can just absolutely crush a human skull with no problem. Your expertise is in brown bears or black bears? I study black bears. Black bears. Mm -hmm. So you've lived with the black bears. How much bigger are grizzlies? I mean, black bears are huge, uh, intimidating beasts, but how much bigger are grizzlies? You know, grizzly bears are much, much bigger. I mean, they can get up to 1,000 pounds or (sighs) even 1,200 pounds. And they're fast. Huge, fast. No human, the fastest man alive cannot outrun any species of bear. Like see Usain Bolt try. It's challenge on. Well, what they say is you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the slowest guy. But what if you're with Usain Bolt? Then you can't do it. Even then you're the Tyson slowest Gay. guy. Then yeah, you're in trouble. Yeah, maybe if Tyson Gay's on steroids. The other thing about bears is that, of course, you can't, like, climb up a tree or anything yeah. because they will climb up after you and just tear you down. Mm-hmm. And and so in the movie, DiCaprio's character knew that the mother was around because he saw the cub. That's pretty much true, right? You see a cub, mom is not... It's be absolutely behind. true. With bears... And they have two cubs. All kinds of bears always have two? Good question. They don't always have two. So the average litter size, for black bears at least, is two cubs. Mm-hmm. But it can be three. It can be one. It can be four in some cases. Now, we always hear about the mama bears and the mama grizzlies, and we got to thank Sarah Palin for that. What are the papas doing? Are they just not involved in raising the family? Are they all foraging? Now, I Do don't... they never defend their young? I don't want to give daddy bears a bad reputation. However, bears of all species are actually pretty solitary carnivore species. So unlike something like a lion, which lives in a pride Mm -hmm. and is always surrounded, bears are very solitary. They're kind of like a leopard or something. So they're almost always alone unless it's a mother with cubs that she's raising, in which case she has her cubs with her. So those papa bears are off doing their own thing. There really is no family unit. They don't have buddies. After he mates, he doesn't even, does he even know that the uh, mother is He doesn't know. No, they don't hibernate together. So all females 
give birth while hibernating. So they get a cozy little den. They Mm -hmm. kind of go to sleep. When they wake up, they have babies. It's the most amazing thing. Uh, How long will the cubs stay with the mother? How long? For one season? More than one season? It's more than one season. So they will go through two summers with their mother. So the first summer, they're very, very young. They've just emerged from hibernation for the first time. They'll stay with mom. The second summer, they'll be about a year, year and a half old, and they'll be with their mother again. But by the end of the summer, they'll have left her and gone off on their own, solitary. Gone to be solitary. And when will, how old are bears, and maybe it's different for black bears and grizzly bears, but how old are they? when they begin to reproduce? Like, what's is, is the second season, are they essentially teenage bears or not quite? No, they're still juveniles, so okay. not quite. And that's a really good question because there's new science, mm. which I'm always excited mm. about, that suggests that bears are actually starting to give birth younger and come into reproductive age at a younger Just age. like people. I, do they blame MTV with the bears also? You know... <laughs> <laughs> they blame people. Uh-huh. They're actually blaming people. So the only bears that are going through this transition are the ones that live in close proximity to humans and are mostly feeding on human food. Well, that's what they say happens with humans. The early all onset the junk of food. female period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's all the junk food. So oh, these, my God. That's amazing. It's, ama- it's really amazing. It's yeah. brand new science. I know it's been studied out in the Western United States. So they're seeing these bears that are kind of raiding like the McDonald's, you know, dumpsters and the yeah. Pizza Hut. Yeah. These animals are getting fatter, of course, and heavier, but they're also getting to reproductive age earlier. So maybe at three years or four years instead of the typical, you know, five. By the way, I want to apologize to our listeners for my saying the female period, but I'm a little uncomfortable with menses, right? It's like, I don't, it's not, I guess scientific. I can say menses. Okay. What else is big in the world of bear news or big to you? Therefore big to us. You know, there's always stuff that's big to me. I mean, you know, we talk about species of bears. So there's black bears and there's brown bears, there's polar bears. But there's also subspecies of bears. So those are often regionally distinct. So we're finding that bears in, say, Florida are regionally distinct from bears in Canada, right? Same species, but the subspecies have some genetic differences. Yeah. And in that way, sometimes they're important to protect different subspecies of bears because they have tiny little differences. And... Well, like the Florida bears like to eat earlier, you know, to get the early bird special and so forth. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, different trends in behavior, <laughs> if cutting, you will. Flea markets. <laughs> yeah, so there's actually a subspecies of bear called the Louisiana black bear. Okay. And it has been on the endangered species list for decades and decades. It really hasn't been doing well. And there's been tons of scientists working on how can we protect this species? What can we do to boost the population size? And, you you know, this is always a challenge. It's hard for scientists to bring species that are endangered into a place where they're actually doing just fine and flourishing. But the great news for conservation scientists everywhere is that just recently in the fall, it was announced that the Louisiana black bear is getting taken off of the endangered species list. How do they do it? So they actually did it through a lot of public-private partnerships. So they actually paid off landowners to not convert their land. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people who might want to do some farming, which means clear-cutting forest, right? And they actually paid these farmers to keep the forest on their land thriving. So the farmers essentially didn't have to farm. Just for the bears or for other reasons as well? Just for the bears. And sometimes we consider bears to be, we call them keystone species or flagship species. Uh So the idea is that we put all these policies in place to protect one animal, like a big, friendly, cute little bear. And by default, it protects a lot of habitat for other animals. So it's essentially like a win-win for conservation. So if you target the top of the food chain, 
then everything underneath benefits. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. So as the bears in the Pelican State, Louisiana, are flourishing in nearby Florida, the bears were literally being targeted. And this was a planned hunt, which states do. New Jersey's doing it. That's how you know, the bear population has exploded. What happened? Not such good things. Even to a bear conservationist, a hunt can never be a fun thing. But uh, it didn't go well, did it? It's hard for me to talk about hunting because it's really controversial. And so what happened in Florida last fall was that they implemented the first black bear hunt the state had had in over 20 years. It had just been decades and decades since hunting was allowed there for these animals. And the idea was that there just weren't very many of them, again, a species that needed to be protected. It was on the endangered species list in Florida as recently as 2012. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, what some advocates for bear protection are saying is that the science wasn't so strong. Mm -hmm to support a bear hunt. So they're saying that we didn't actually have the numbers. Yeah. So there was just kind of an assumption that, oh, yeah, well, we're seeing bears, you know, enough on, you know, in people's backyards and whatnot, that there must be enough for us to hunt. Is it very hard to get the accurate number? Oh, of bears, it's so hard. Yeah. As someone who does this for you gotta, a living. you got to tranquilize <laughs> them. you got to tag them. You have yeah. to tag them. Yeah. And bears are really hard to find. Yeah. So anyway, what happened in Florida was that they implemented a bear hunt. It was supposed to span a couple of months after after two days, so many hunters had shot so many oh. bears that they had to call the whole thing off. Yeah. There's a quota, of course, you know, for a number of bears that can be hunted, and especially for female days. bears. And they hit it and surpassed it in some areas in two days, and they just had to shut the whole thing down. Bring us the bear news as she does. Dr. Ray Wing Grant, who teaches conservation science and is a teaching fellow at the American Museum of Natural History. Thank you. Thank you. At this point in your life, and I say this, not knowing what point in your life you're at, but it's so true for so many points in our lives, you may be thinking of taking control of your financial future. And luckily, there is an excellent website and service for that, and it is called Betterment. Betterment is the largest independent automated investing service. It has over 145,000 customers, and it manages $3.8 billion. Doesn't hit you with the hard sell, doesn't make you feel bad. You never click on anything saying, do I really want to do this? It's pretty upfront. It's pretty straightforward. It organizes your finances. It gives you excellent information and it gives you options that you're comfortable with. It's smart and it's not pressuring you to do anything you don't want to do. So whatever your goals are, could be retirement, could be saving for college, could be getting out of student debt, try out Betterment, see what they have to offer. In fact, the gist is giving you, offering you up to six months of automated investing free, also, you can check out more information when you go to Betterment.com slash gist. That's Betterment.com slash gist. Betterment investing made better. And now the spiel, what's in a word? President Barack Obama became the first president to visit Cuba since Calvin Coolidge. You know... Calvin Coolidge is one of those presidents who frequently get mentioned after the word since, right? Not after words like, and that law was finally enacted by, and that war was won by, not after, and that man will forever be celebrated on currency and mountains, you know him as. In fact, Calvin Coolidge is far more famous for an anecdote than an accomplishment, 
Though it may not be fair, so is Taft, who did a lot of good things and probably didn't even get stuck in the bathtub. Now, if you want to hear the full Calvin Coolidge anecdote right here, right now, you lose. But Obama is in Cuba trying to normalize relations if receiving lines and anthem playing and military salutes are the way to normalize relations, then we're well on our way. But if you want to know why U.S.-Cuba relations are fraught, there are, of course, many, many factors. But here is, I believe, one example of the biggest reason. The United States believes that no Cuban should face harassment or arrest or beatings simply because they're exercising a universal right to have their voices heard. And we will continue to support civil society there. Oh, it's not that complaint per se. It's not that America's freedom-loving and Cuba is an oppressor. I mean, the U.S. has really good relations with countries that are much more repressive than Cuba. The wedge is so obvious you probably didn't hear it. The wedge is language. Or maybe you did hear it, because I told you we were talking about language. But anyway, English is the most common language in the U.S., and Cubans speak Spanish. Right, you say, but the U.S. has good relations with a lot of predominantly Spanish-speaking countries. They do, they do. But I think the more salient point is that the U.S. has bad relations with almost zero countries that are English-speaking. Think about it. Who are our enemies? The axis of evil. They speak Farsi and Urdu and Arabic and Korean, not English. Our rivals, if not our outright enemies, speak Russian and Belarusian and Mandarin and, though this is changing a little bit, Burmese. The United States has but one enemy that is English-speaking. It is the country of, do you want to guess? It's in Africa. Start from the back of the alphabet forward. In general, a shared language is a fine gateway to understanding. Now, other factors are in play. A shared language is not sufficient. Hutu slaughtered Tutsi, speaking Kenya Rwanda and French. The South African apartheid regime spoke Afrikaans, which has its roots in Dutch. But the country of the Netherlands officially condemned the South Africans before even the United States did. And the French have some tense relations with their former African colonies. And... Another big note, it seems none of this applies to the Arab world, where both Sunni and Shia speak Arabic. They also speak local tongues, but they do speak Arabic and they still do fight with each other. By the way, this is really interesting. The Portuguese-speaking countries seem to get on exceedingly well, and there's a theory as to why. It's called lusotropicalism, and it's an idea that describes the distinctive character of Portuguese imperialism, saying that the Portuguese were better colonizers than other European nations. I don't know if the correlation between English language and good relations has to do with the munificence of England as a colonizer or the U.S. as as an influencer. I would also say that time and distance, we are far from when we ever did colonize. We are a distance from other countries. So that probably buffets us in terms of international relations. I mean, take France and Algeria, for instance. On again, off again, good relations between those two countries. France was in Algeria up until 1962. France is only 450 miles by plane from Algiers to Marseille. But it is clear from to Zambia, English-speaking countries get on well. The optimist side of me says good communication literally and figuratively leads to greater understanding between nations. Now, if you want a clear example of the value of good communication in a common language, look no further than the case of the Bangladeshi bank heist. You've not heard of the Bangladeshi bank heist? You should have. National banks keep money right here in New York at the Federal Reserve. So Bangladesh asks to withdraw millions. That's not so absurd. The fact that the wire transfers were requested to 
casinos in the Philippines. That is a little absurd. And in the end, the cybercrime netted thieves $80 million. Could have been more, though, but for a language lapse. The thieves requested $20 million be transferred to a fake Sri Lankan nonprofit organization, the Shalika Foundation. But the official request read the Shalika Foundation. Foundation, not foundation. That typo raised some eyebrows and the request was denied. I guess it maybe would have had a happy ending if the millions did go through to the Shakira Foundation, which is a website and fan club maintained by a 14-year-old huge fan of Shakira. Hips don't lie, but cyber thieves do. And if you're gonna lie, it turns out you better spell. Or else you'll be doing a spell in county lockup. Yeah, I just do need to disclose that there was no county lockup. They got away with stealing millions of dollars and authorities have not announced that they have any suspect. Other than that, it's really just like Dragnet or CSI Miami. A final note on language. Over in the UK, David Cameron announced this week that spouses who come to Britain on visas will have their English tested after two and a half years, and if they fail the language test, they could be deported. The Prime Minister told the BBC, quote, it is tough, but people coming to our country have responsibility too. Responsibility! So then the Home Office puts out a press release about the new language requirements, and they misspell the word language. New English language tests for family route migrants. So first, of course, they consider that we meant to say it defense. What? Yes, all lands will be gauged. We shall not allow for a society that goes about with uncalibrated lands. And if the lands gauge is bigger than, say, 4.5 or maybe 4.7, we will have a serious row. No, no. They just admitted that they got it wrong. They blamed it on a junior press officer. You know, I, I think Manesh is his name, little brown fellow. You know, now that you mention it, maybe we need to get him tested. And that's stories of language, how it helps, how it hurts, how it brings us together. It was delivered using language. A full Spanish translation is available in Geist SAP, and a transcription is in the works for the hearing impaired, though we're still working out the sign for Lobstar. We'll get back to you on that. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi. I mean, she says she's a Quaker. Have you ever seen her quake? She's normally quite composed. I mean, Quakers, they're supposed to quake. Isn't that part of the deal? Asking for a friend. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, claims to be a Calvinist, but I've never seen him reading Calvin and Hobbes. Isn't that what the Calvinists do? Just asking. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, proudly proclaims himself a Taoist. Yet, has he ever been to Taos, New Mexico? I don't think so. And when he goes, who's going to pay for it? Say it with me. The New Mexicans! The gist. This Pesca, he wants you to believe he's a charismatic Catholic. I mean, maybe he's Catholic, but I've been listening. Where's the charisma? That's what I want to know. Low energy. Um, Peru, de Peru, du Peru, and thanks for listening.